Twin Peaks fans and welcome to a very special episode of Twin Peaks The Return of Season 3 podcast. I'm Andy Hazel and it's been six months since our last episode and believe me there were intentions for episodes in these intervening months. But mainly I've been waiting for a moment where I can actually add something to the multitude of conversations that are happening about Twin Peaks. There are so many great essays and analyses and fresh takes over at 25 Years Later, uh, the website, and Blue Rose Magazine has been doing a great job of putting out stuff. Um, and I would rather direct people's attention towards these things than share yet another opinion about them. But last month, I visited the Dark Mofo Festival in my hometown of Hobart, Tasmania, and there, there was a very strong Twin Peaks vibe. There were some venues made out to, like the Blang Bang Bar, the Red Room, and the Roadhouse. And on the stage at the Roadhouse were, came performances from Christabel and Rebecca Del Rio. And my interview with Rebecca will be coming up after this. Also this morning, I was given another very good reason to podcast. It was announced, as you may well be aware, on the otherwise avoidable and occasionally racist breakfast TV show Sunrise, that five members of the original cast of Twin Peaks, plus the Returns executive producer Sabrina Sutherland, would be visiting Australia in late August and early September. Namely, Al Strobel, the one-armed man, Kimmy Robertson, who plays Lucy Moran, of course, Dana Ashbrook, who plays Bobby Briggs, Michael Horse, who plays Deputy Hawk, and Cheryl Lee actual Laura Palmer. This is a momentous occasion for several reasons. Firstly, wow, it's, that's an incredible collection of people. Secondly, Australia has pretty much on the surface nothing to do with the show at all. Um, we're just kind of a small number of comparatively wealthy people stretched over a vast landmass, and we're used to being ignored by bands who do world tours and movies who want to shoot in exotic locations. Um, and so it was kind of incredible to hear that they would be coming all the way over here. But we do have a strong connection to the show, even though we may not ostensibly seem to have much in common with it at all. We're the only country in the world to put Julie Cruz at number one in the charts, and both her and Angela Badlamenti have been given gold records, courtesy of their success here. And there's a surprising depth of influence in the country's creative scene. And in 2014, I wrote an article in which I tried to understand why Twin Peaks was such a big deal here in Australia. And in that article, I interviewed the musician Sophia Bruce, who's performed some of David Lynch's music. Um, at festivals and on stages around the world. And she said, there's something very exotic about a small town in America. It's like an inverse version of Crocodile Dundee. We like stepping into the cold austerity of a town like that. It's like a holiday, which I thought was pretty insightful. So for actual original run cast members and someone with Sabrina Sutherland's insight to be coming here is a very big deal. Plus, we get to talk to people who will actually tell us things we want to know, which is kind of an unusual feeling when you have a question about Twin Peaks. This event in which they're partaking is called Twin Peaks Conversations with the Stars, and you can find more information, including dates and tickets, at drwe.com.au. I already know of one fan who's flying in from Washington, D.C. to Sydney, so think about it. I'm not sure what this event will mean for listeners, but you can be sure that I'll be trying to chat with Kimmy, Al, Dana, Michael, Sabrina, and Cheryl, if at all possible. But you can right now hear me chat to Rebecca Del Rio. And before we head in, you should know that Rebecca is one of the most forthcoming and generous Twin Peaks-related people I've ever had the chance to interview. Um, her screen time in Mulholland Drive in Twin Peaks is only around 12 to 15 minutes, but boy, does she have some stories to tell. And so don't go thinking you'll just get some superficial yarn about working with David. She co-wrote the song No Stars, and she is responsible for the central scene of one of the greatest films of the last 30 years. And she's perfectly happy to let you know how these things happened. Secondly... In order to interview Rebecca, I was asked to take her for afternoon tea. And I misunderstood this request as thinking that we would go for a cup of tea during the afternoon, but no, this is like 
capital A, capital T, like high T with cucumber sandwiches and scones and pinky fingers out at an angle and all that jazz. So that means you will hear some sounds of teaspoons and teacups, but you won't actually hear the sound of sipping of tea because Rebecca is a woman of class and distinction and wouldn't slurp. Unfortunately, just as I was about to ask the hotel we were at to turn off the pianola that was playing when I arrived, Rebecca commented on how much she loved the pianola, and so you will hear a pianola playing throughout our conversation. Here, then, is my chat with Rebecca Del Rio, and I began by asking Rebecca how she came to be in Mulholland's drive. Senoras y senores, el Club Silencio les presenta La Llorona de Los Ángeles, Rebecca Del Rio. After starting my singing career, I actually was um, living in San Diego and I did those gigs. I started like a band and then I moved to LA and I was originally a country artist. Yes, in Nashville, right? It, no, in LA first. Sorry. And I was working the circuit and trying to get a record deal. And I heard uh, Roy Orbison and Katie Lang sing Crying Together. You know, I saw like the video, the CMT video, and I fell in love. I always loved that song, but I fell in love with that performance and the way she sang it. So I started singing it in English um, at various clubs around town in LA. And a friend of mine, she mentioned that um, it would be it would be so wonderful if I sang that in Spanish because sometimes I would some, throw some Spanish into my songs, and that kind of made me different because I, I do have Mexican American heritage. And um, so I had a very dear friend from. Um, uh, Venezuela, who lived in LA, she was a songwriter by the name of Tanya Sanz, helped me write Crying in Spanish. So it was specifically written for me circa 1994, 93. I had been singing it all that time. And I actually, from that, received my first management deal, my first record deal, my agency at CAA, all the deals I got already with my song, my version of Crying. And, and, and so much, it, it's, it's such a beautiful version that even Roy Overson's wife, uh, God rest her soul, she um, wrote me a letter, a handwritten letter, uh, that said it was as if the song was written in Spanish first and then translated into English. It's such a beautiful, profound version, Rebecca, thank you. So I had that in my pocket, this is circa 1997. I already had this song that had already made major changes in my life. I mean, huge. This is a girl that comes from, I mean, I came from downright humble, humble beginnings, poverty level beginnings, you know, council. And um, I made it. I, I, I figured out, I found a niche in my, in my country world, but with a little bit of Spanish, and I made it. You know, and I got a record deal in Nashville. I lived there for five years. During the time I was doing my record, and I'd gotten all this beautiful opportunity from Jorando. I got a, a phone call from my agent, Brian Laux at CAA. said, I know you're coming into town, into LA to do your photo shoot for your record. I'm so excited to see you. But while you're here, I would love to introduce you to my client, David Lynch. And I said, Blue Velvet David. Yes, yes. I said this, I tell the story all the time because it's so cute. And I said, Wow, that hard village? So yeah, I'm, yes, yes. Twin Peaks village? Because I was a big fan. I mean, you know, I didn't really watch it in the 90s, not Twin Peaks, but I, uh, I mean, uh, Blue Velvet was my favorite film of all time. It was so amazing. 
and just freakish. I love it. Yeah. And Isabella Rossellini. Mm. Yeah. So, oh, beautiful. So, he said, I guess, yes, that David Lynch. I would love for you to come and just talk, just come and sing your song. So if you can do this, this would be great. And I said, sure, I'd love to. He goes, all I ask is that you show up on time, you look cute, and you sing what I tell you to. I said, okay, you got it, I can do that. So I did. And, and years later, I found out that David was trying to push the meeting. He was busy, he had been traveling, he was working, and he was like really in the process of working on his new ABC series, Mulholland Drive. So he was busy and he didn't want to meet a new person. It wasn't something on his radar at the time, but thank God for Brian Louts because he saw the opportunity to, to mesh this amazing, great, iconic director with this brand new emerging artist who had this song that would collaborate with David's world and his, his beautiful appreciation of infectious songs, songs that are so profound, you know, all the songs he's used in his, in his films. He hears the song and he's captured by it and he like, he, he's this client's David Lynch and he's like, you need this, you need this combination, you're gonna love her, just trust me. And David's fighting it, he's like, no, I, you know, I'm too busy, I, I, okay, listen, five minutes, give her five minutes. Unbeknownst to me, I didn't know I was auditioning, I just thought, uh, here I am, and I'm an artist, I'm gonna meet a great director, one of my favorite directors, and good, you know, that's part of my world, I get to meet really famous people, and I get, you know, I'm, I'm coming up in the world, so I just show up like, you know, on time, look cute, and sing when Brian tells me to. Yo estaba bien por un I show up at David's um, studio. It's, it's like a, a commune. He has this house. It's beautiful. It's, it's symmetrical. Really cool house. It has like a connection to another area that's his studio, which is a pretty much a live theater where John Neff was. I sit down. Brian, you know, John introduces me. I mean, uh, David introduces me to John. John's in at the, at the, at the mixing board. Brian's like, you know, he had to listen, this is Rebecca Del Rio. She, she, she's got this fantastic record coming out soon. She's going to be a big star, and I just really want to introduce you to her because she's a big fan of yours. She wants to sing a little song. Is that okay with you? And he was like, well, sure, of course. Go ahead, Rebecca. I stand up. David's sitting down. Brian's sitting next to me. And I stand up. I turn around. I'm facing David. I'm about this far away, like literally three feet from him. And my voice is very big, so you know I have to kind of back up, and I back up into like the the, the part of the where the the console starts, you know, as I get to the bigger parts. I'm singing along. I sing the first verse. I, I go into the chorus. I start singing the second verse, and David stops me. And in my mind, no one had ever stopped me. I just sing the whole thing, and that's that. And whatever happens, happens. But no one ever stops me. You know, you don't stop someone in the middle of a song. That's just like what's happening. <sighs> He stops me. He's, 
I'm sorry, can you stop? And I, in my head, I think, oh my gosh, my heart fell down to my feet, like the soles of my feet. I lost it inside. Of course, I'm just as grace, gracious and graceful as I can be because I had never had that happen. And he said, I'm sorry, I don't mean to stop you. This is so beautiful. And I wanted to let you know that there's a mic in the, in the vocal booth that we just fired up. There's only three of its kind in all the, in all the land. And I would love to hear you sing that again in that mic and John will make it sound so wonderful. Can we get you to do that again? So sure enough, I go into the booth with the cans on, you know, the, this gorgeous mic, this beautiful tube mic. Oh, gorgeous. And John Neff will tell you what it is, exactly what it is, but I forgot. It's Helen Funk and I know that much. Oh. To start singing and that and the reverb and the echo and the delay so perfect that it just juiced it. It just it's it's so much easier to sing it with that stuff because you can hear the the, the delicacy of the different parts that I come in and out of. I don't know if you've when you've heard me sing it. I get closer to the mic sometimes and I get really far from the mic. Sometimes I sing this way depending because I don't want to blow this mic and then I come so close and then the way it sounds is so it, it's in my head or in the monitor. If I feed off of that because I also feel the same thing the audience, I, I, I imagine the audience is feeling or the, what they've told me in the past, that they just, like, hair in the back of their neck stands up. This happens to me too. The same thing happens to me. When I get the, that close and that whole juice that I call it, it's like, oh God, <laughs> what's happening to me? So I did the whole song from start to finish and, and it was done. And then David said, ding, ding, Rebecca Del Rio, that was aces. And in my mind, I'm thinking, who is this guy? Like, he's so out there, you know? But I think that's, that's good. That's a good thing. It was aces. Okay, thank you. So uh, I left quite, quite quickly. We had a damn fine good cup of coffee. And I think we had a cigarette because he smokes the American spirits and he used to want one. I go, sure. And I hadn't really been smoking, you know, like maybe, you know, here and there. But so I contribute that to David, <laughs> at least on the American spirits end, you know. And so I um, had a cigarette with him, had a cup of coffee, told him it was wonderful to meet him and how, how honored I was. And he said it was lovely to hear my voice. And that was that. I did my photo shoot. I went back to Nashville. I prepared for my radio tour. I prepared, you know, I had the media training. I had, you know, I was at John Small, a very famous um, music video director. He did like Janet Jackson's Velvet Rope. He was going to do my, my first video in Savannah, Georgia. I had it all set up. Yeah. Everything was happening. And then uh, I get a call from Brian and he's like, Rebecca, I need to talk to you. And he's, what are you doing next week? And I go, well, I'm in, the pro I'm in the studio or I'm, you know, getting ready to get on tour, whatever I was doing. 
David Lynch is obsessed with your song. Really? He goes, yeah, he can't stop listening to it. He's obsessed. I go, well, what song? He's Gerando, the one you sang at his studio. I said, what? He goes, yeah. I go, well, he recorded me? Yeah, he recorded you. So I had no idea that he recorded. So the very thing you hear in Mulholland Drive is the actual live version of me singing in that Telefunken mic in his studio on the very first day I met him. He's obsessed so much that in the last month or so, he's actually, he's doing this, I was telling you, he's doing this series, it's ABC, it's going to be like another Twin Peaks, it's called Mulholland Drive, and you know, it's going to be great, and he wants you to be like the Vonda Shepherd of it, so you're going to have songs in it, but he wants, he's, he wrote a specific part just for you. And I go, wow, really? And he wants to fly you out, and then want to put you on screen, and then you just got to sing along, and you can do this. I go, I've never been in a movie. You can do this, Rebecca. You're going to be beautiful. Because at the time, I was 29. I was a size zero. I was young and skinny, you know? <laughs> yeah, those were good times. So, um, and then, yeah, sort I find myself at you know, four in the morning in, in the back alley of this tower theater in downtown Los Angeles, and I'm in this trailer, you know, with makeup, and what I did was, uh, um, I, I, didn't, I didn't know, I didn't know what to expect, I had never been in a movie, so I brought a bag full of stuff, like makeup and different things and like ideas and dresses and different, and I had actually met up with a costume designer, the costume director, and, um, and uh, she put me in a bunch of things, and I had a hard time with that too, because I wasn't used to changing in front of people, and it was just so weird, like, and that's not my world, my world is showing up and singing, I'm not taking my clothes off in front of people, you know? And so I couldn't do it, and she was like, it's okay, you know, she's late, she's done this all her life, you know, this is what she does with big stars. It's okay, I, I picked some things out, you know, I'll leave the room, and you can try them all, come in, and she was really nice, and I hated everything, it just didn't fit right, I didn't like it, and she didn't like it, she hated it too. And then I said, well, I have this dress, and she's like, oh, I love that dress, and that was that, that was the dress I wore, my whole dress. So fast forward, four in the morning, back, parking lot, tower, tower theater, sitting in the trailer, brought my little bag of stuff. This trailer was so small because it was ABC and they weren't really spending a lot of money. And it was so small and they and so they hired these these makeup artists. They were a little bit on the they were a little bit on the bitchy side, I have to say. You know, they're just a little bit, not that's not the nicest thing to say, but you know what I mean. They were just, just like a little bit persnickety. Because I bring this really nice bag and it had stuff in it, and the the room was so small I didn't realize, and they're like, uh, do you need that bag? Go, well, it has like makeup. It's like, you don't need any makeup. We have everything here. So you need to take that back, back to your trailer. They treated me that way. And I'm like, okay, I'll take it back. So I sat there. They did all this makeup. Then she took me on stage. And David was behind the camera. And uh, the girls were already set up in the mezzanine. And all the slides and stuff like that. And they put me on the stage just to get like a DP. Come and do all the lighting and make sure my makeup's good. My outfit and David has to prove everything. Now here, David, and I was like, he's got like a little megaphone because he's back, you know. Uh, well, uh, the makeup's okay, but I need to look. I need her to look a little more tragic. Can you make the mascara run? And I'm like, no, no, no. 
you know, I wanted her to look tragic. I didn't want to look horrid. I didn't want to look like a clown. I wanted to look beautiful and special. I didn't want to look like, in, 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 in all seriousness and just really in the reality is, is that so many times Latinas, Latino actors are typecasted and they play hookers, they play gangsters, they play losers, drug addicts, um, fatsos, mothers, whatever you want to call it. That's not the nicest thing to say, but you know what I mean. Just like they, they, domestics, you know, they play maids and they play babysitters and they, you know, or nannies. They don't play strong, beautiful, confident, you know, women that are lawyers or doctors, at least in that time and, and, and times after, and certainly times before. It's a thing. It's a thing. We're typecasted. And I was like, no, no, I'm not coming out looking like shit with all my makeup running. I'm not doing it. This is a beautiful song. I'm bringing it, and I'm going to look stunning. So I'm not doing it. So I didn't say that, but that was in my mind. And so he goes, can you make your makeup, blah, blah, blah. So the makeup artist takes me back, and she has her marching orders. I'm going to make your makeup. I'm like, hold on. I had to put my foot down. Now, hold on, mini pie. Here's the deal. Remember that? You know, I have something that's pretty cool. I don't think we should do my makeup all runny. Just like what sucks with David wants. I have this idea. I have this tear, and it's really cool. And it'll make me look like a, you know, like pretty hardcore. Because in prison, if you have a tear, that means you've murdered someone. And that's tragic, but without being ugly. Yes, right. That's, that's cool tragic. That's punk rock. That's not ugly tragic. You know, that's not unsightly. It's not like, oh, there's another ugly Mexican on the screen. No. No, I couldn't do that to my people. I need to represent and bring it in a little better fashion, right? So she goes, you have that? I go, yeah. Where is it? I go, and that bag you made me take back. Will you bring that little bag right back? She took the credit for it. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. she did. She was like, oh, I got this instead. Yeah. And, she, and he loved it. He's like, that's perfect. That's perfect. Dad, that's brilliant. He, he actually even put Krista Bell later on on one of her albums with a tear. Yeah, right. Yeah, he sure did. So I started that gangster shit. So since Mulholland Drive came out, yeah. It's just been one thing after another with opportunities to fly all over the world and sing that song. It's my song. Yeah. It's Roy Overson's song in English. It's my song in Spanish. Because I created it yeah. with Tanya's songs. Done. Opening so many doors. Carnegie Hall. Oh my God. The Royal Philharmonic. Singing all over the world with the most famous, famous of all famous people. Mm. And so... I thank David for that. I mean, yeah, I brought my talent, but he gave me the opportunity. But I, it was a heavy accident. That's what he says. Because he wasn't interested in meeting anybody at the time. So I brought him something he needed for his film. Imagine the film without Jodanda. Yeah. Or even in the way that he originally, with the, the no, messy but, face. And no, but just imagine it without Jodanda altogether. Yeah. Imagine the film. No Jodanda. No, no Club Silencio. Yeah, no center to hold no, ba no Ebanda. Literally. So what happens? Where, where does it go? She's dreaming. Then, some, then, then all of a sudden she wakes up and she's in a nightmarish reality. But well, how did that happen? It's these moments like when 
Dennis Hopper with like all the things that he was doing that 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 creates that yeah. energy and that that heightened you know it's craziness. So I think we helped each other. Yeah, obviously he helped me a lot. But just the fact that he allowed me to sing and look beautiful, and he represented me in a way where I didn't I wasn't a hooker. Yeah, I was this respected singer, a gorgeous singer, and yeah. I gave the opportunity to other young. Hispanic singers or just women in general say, hey, look, it doesn't matter what your skin color is. If you can bring it, bring it. Mm. And you don't have to be a hooker. You could just sing. Yeah. Or bring a beauty to the screen or whatever talent you have. So how has singing that song changed since then? Because you've sung it so many times. And it I have. seems like a harrowing song to inhabit. It's not easy. And since I had my... Um, uh, brain tumor and they put two new holes in my head it's very challenging and uh, if I'm tired it's hard for me to hit some of the notes I still do it though it's hard there's some struggle I don't know if you noticed but I did struggle but it is what it is I'm not I'm no longer 29 I'm 51 soon to be 51 and my voice is going to end up like Ethel Merman at some point so let's just face it you know what I mean it's done I'm going to work it until I can't work it anymore. But it still comes out nice, and I still have the, the feeling, and I'm happy with it. Apparently, people still want me to sing it. So I'm still singing it pretty I mean, I, I sing it lower now. It was a lot higher then. Yeah, right. Well, my voice is younger. That one doesn't hurt me. I still sing it, and I sing it in the exact key I sang it in before. And yeah. I sing it in a different tone. Okay. I have, I never took lessons. I was always just able to sing. But my teachers were Linda Ronstad, were Vicky Carr, Dusty Springfield. And I love this vibratos, this like Linda Ronstad style. But I also love Dolly Parton and Olivia and John. So I'm able to use my voice in lots of different ways. I can give this huge, huge emotional vibrato, big, big diaphragm voice like Jorando. It starts off like, it's big. Then no stars, it's like, my dream. There's no vibrato. It's to go. It's very, like, yeah. it's almost straight, like, almost like Astro Gilberto. It's straight, and it's got this, like, dreamy, like, <gasps> and I can do it. And that is easier than Jorando sometimes. Because Jorando, I have to bring it, mm. and I've got these two new holes in here, because they did the surgery through here, you know. But thank goodness for the lovely crowd, because they're so in it. And I don't want to break the spell, so I don't make any faces. I don't, nobody knows I'm, I'm devastated inside, because I want... I don't want to break the spell, so I don't make any faces. I don't. Nobody knows I'm, I'm yeah. devastated inside because I want 
to stay there with them in our scene together. I want them to be with me in Mulholland Drive, in Club Silencio, at the Roadhouse, the Bang Bang Bar. I want them there. Yeah. And they're there. These people are so beautiful. Oh, the David Lynch fans are my favorite fans ever. And trust me, I came from the country fan world. No offense, but honey, please. Where it all began on a starry night. So, how did you feel about auto tune being used on those stars? You know what? I hated it at first, but there was nothing I can do about it. And I think that David did that because I released No Stars on my album in 2011. Yeah. Because it's my song. It belongs to D David and I and John, and, and um, David gave it to us. So it was my song. I owned it. Yeah. Master and everything at the time. And then I think he wanted to differentiate it. I think that's why he did it. Right, okay. Because there was no need for it. Because yeah. my version is beautiful. Yeah. And I, I, I hated it. But now I've gotten used to it, and it is what it is. But if you go to my 2011 Love Hurts, Love Heals record that I wrote in honor of my late son, Philip, you will hear it. And every time I sing it, you will hear that I don't need auto-tune yes. at all. <laughs> yes. That's one thing I don't, I don't have a problem with. I don't go off tune. No. That's not my thing, right? And I can keep the a cappella on, on the same key. It's just I have a good ear, thank God. So, you know, I think that's why he did it. Because he yeah. wanted it to, this is a different version. And so, and then, so he kept the master. Ended up with the master of both versions. Yeah. Because that's that's how he played it, and I'm not going to fight him, because I'm also so grateful that he again let me be in a beautiful, beautiful series that I'm very proud of, and he let me sing in Spanish, mm. and he let me look beautiful. I look so no, you know, I'm not <laughs> patting myself in the back, but that lighting was incredible. If that lighting could just carry, like, if I could just walk around with that lighting for the rest of my life, and I wouldn't have these bags in my eyes or anything, that would be so awesome. Yeah. On a starry night. When North Stars came about, yet again, Brian Loves takes me to David's. Rebecca, David has, he wants to write a song with you. Are you interested in that? Oh yeah, yeah, sure, I'd love to do that. So I show up on time, look cute. And, and so David says, look, um, I want to show you this track that, that John and I have been working on for a little while. And we really like it and we think we can work something out with you. And so I listened down to it. Oh, that's pretty cool, you know, it's got four or five chords and they're, as you know, pretty juicy, I like it. Okay, and he said, now look, I, I started writing this poem and David shows me this piece of paper that he has all this chicken scratch on it. And it's like all mishmash and he's got stuff crossed off. And I think I have it somewhere, or a copy of it. And then so, um, you know, he has a, a lot of the, of the poem, but it's, there's no structure to it. And it's just like kind of some things that I was like, okay, what is this? Just random words. So he said to me, well, listen, this is what I was thinking. I would love for you to help me make this into a song, this poem, you know, write the song, create the melody over this track that John and I have done. And can you do that? And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure I can do this. I mean, I just come from Nashville, had five years of writing with the top songwriters in Nashville, CMA, Grammy Award winning top songwriters. So I had a, I had a formula and the Nashville formula is verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, bridge, chorus, out. That's how you write a song. 
I don't really mess around with like, you know, anything that doesn't rhyme. And it's a whole thing. So I had this in my head. This is the way I was writing. However, I had been listening to Morrissey for a good month at the time. I love Morrissey. So I had Morrissey in my head. And I, I had my structure, like I had the rules, but then I had Morrissey. And you know how Morrissey repeats everything? Even though he says like, and I won't be repeating it again. No, I won't be repeating it again. But I'm like, wait, you just, re- you did it. Or whatever he says, you know, I'm like, you just did. I love him so much. So I had that in my head. I see this poem, Chicken Scratch stuff. I don't know what it is. But I go, give me a minute. Okay, give me a second. I think I go to the table in the kitchen, which is just between the houses, or the studio in the house. I sit there and I'm just with myself. I'm like, I just need a minute for myself. So this is what happened. He's like, I really want you to do it here. And I was like, oh my gosh. And then we go back to that real sick. Because then Brian, I look at Brian. I'm like, Brian? And Brian says this with such confidence. Well, you've never let me down before. And I said, thanks, Brian. No pressure. Thank you. What am I supposed to do with this? Come up with a melody. Come up with... And he says, I want you to come up the song and I want you to write it in Spanish too oh my gosh okay give me a minute let me sit down and let me sit with it and go to I think it was in the kitchen so I was like sitting in this super symmetrical kitchen grays and like you know obviously coffee makers so uh, I check it out I'm like okay well first of all I need to make I need to make a structure out of this I need to figure out which is what part am I going to use for the verse what am I going to write for a chorus? How am I going to put this together? So I see this in my dreams to go to the place where we go to the album And I was like, no, you know what? I'm going to repeat it here just like Morrissey does. Because I love that. It's so cool. And then I'm going to speak this. Because I think that's so... It, it, people don't do that anymore. Yeah, that's so 50s. It's so... Yeah, right? It, it, when people used to speak in their, in their, in their songwriting, they don't, that doesn't happen anymore. Except, you know, oh, baby, just you shut your mouth. So, <laughs> you know what I mean, right? <laughs> yeah. So, the actual structure was created by, by my influence of Morrissey. And then by, uh, also by my actual, you know, learning. Of, or I, I was schooled in Nashville with songwriting, like how to pen a song, you know, how to actually create it. I worked on that. You know, I honed my songwriting skills there for five years. So I had those two things, those two elements were basically like clash, which is kind of interesting because that's like David Lynch's world. Everything clashes. You got like the, the norm, and then you've got all this undercurrent of fuck. So we got Morrissey clashing with this structure of, you know, first chorus, first chorus, bridge chorus, out, and that's how you do it, darling. Yeah, yeah. And then you got Morrissey coming in here with like <laughs> this emo shit that's just so ridiculous. So that's how it came about. Yeah. Okay, got it. Took me about yeah, about 15 minutes, you know, 20 minutes. I just like kind of okay, done. Okay, I think I got it. I think I got it. I go back in and I go, okay, I think I've got this. So can I just work on the melody as I'm listening? Can you just play it and I'll just kind of work on the melody just as is, see what comes out? Because you guys got a great track and let me just see what I can do. So as you know, there's all these, there's four chords, but they come in such a weird succession, right? Yes. That yeah, they yeah. just never know when they're coming. So I knew that the way it felt, I let it come to me, like dun, 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 dun. You know how that first, it's like five, it's like five, isn't it? Five yes. measures? Yeah. It's a weird five measure thing, right? And that's when I started with my dream. And I waited for the next 
the mm. next chord because I didn't know what it was. I only heard it once. Yeah, yeah. It is to go. I'm waiting for the next one. To the place I'm singing. And so it ended up having a little Jimmy Scott effect, which is so cool. And it wasn't, it was not intentional. It just happened because I didn't know what was next. And so I was making it up as I went along. And so on the, you know the one, that's why I want to say it. It's so sexy like that, you know. And I made it up and this went on and on. It was so cool. It was such a great experience. And then I got to that part, you said, and I got big. Oh, and I brought the Mulholland Drive Giordano voice. Yes. I get big and I build and I build and I build and then I say where were the stars mm. and then I bring it down I use a huge 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 voice and then I then I whisper at the end you know and all on the same note there's no breath in there right I just boom I just did it and then I finished the song did it and he's like that's amazing Rebecca's beautiful and then he says to me this part where you go where with the stars is that can you make it a different note? I'm like, no. He goes, well, will you want to try it? So I go, okay. So that was the one take. So I just get to that part. And I think I did it again or something. Sing it exactly the same way. I'm like, I'm sorry. That's it. Yeah. I'm not singing another note. It's not going to come out. And I'm not going to force myself to do it. That's what you get. Mm-hmm. So that's it. And he's like, okay. <laughs> and then, you know, obviously the Spanish, I, I put it together. And I was just like, I wrote that, I wrote my own version of, so I wrote the second verse in Spanish by myself. Yeah. You know? Right. Because I took like the elements of what he was trying to say. Mm-hmm. And so in Spanish, it's like, you know, I saw it in your eyes, I saw it in your, in your, your palabras, your words, and, you know. Okay. But then, ya no hay, there's no longer any stars, and say it's sort mm-hmm. of like that. And um, yo vi en tus ojos, and it, it was, it looked, <laughs> it worked out really well. Yeah, but it was the reason yeah. because the delay came from having just absolutely no idea what was coming up next. So are there other songs that were also recorded around that time that are yet to be heard? Because that song like turned up in 2011 on your album. Mm-hmm. But then John, when I interviewed John, he said there was a pretty much all these music that we were recording around that time they, hasn't that been heard yet. They were. Something that I did with John on another call, I think we were writing a song called Silencio and I don't think we finished it. Right, okay. But John and David were writing things aside from what I was doing. Yeah, for so I wasn't. Oh, yeah, for Blue Bob, and they were, do, they were producing Krista. So what, how did you feel when you saw the final version on Return? Because like, <sighs> Well, can I tell you how it happened like, yes. when I got there? Please. Okay. So David said, uh, his production, David said, everybody come camera ready. So you come with your own outfit, your own hair, your own makeup, you pay for it. Wow. You figure it out. Wow, okay. You just come in and we'll trust you. So, no, they did have hair and makeup there just in case you did a shoddy-ass job. But 
course I did. And I had the best makeup artist on the planet, Rudy Calvo, who's done every single African-American diva on the planet, including Patti LaBelle, Nancy Wilson. I'm talking, I'm talking, you know, Thelma Houston. Every single, all the women on the 20 Feet from Stardom, he's done. He's in that movie, he's at the end. I had Rudy do my face and I had um, one of the fan- beautiful hair. And, like, that was all me. I went to Macy's. I went to every single store I could to, to find a dress and I specifically wanted chevron. Because I knew I was gonna have red, obviously I was gonna have a red curtain behind me. Yeah. And I wanted to represent that room, the red room with the, the chevron floor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I went to Macy's and my friend, my best friend and I were literally cl- closing the place down. Tried all these dresses on, hated them. Walking out, manager's waiting for us. Walking out, I see in my peripheral vision some chevron. I look and it's amongst this big, full, just crap of all kinds of dresses that had been returned or not. I don't know, but it was just like a mishmash of stuff, of women's clothing. And there's this little chevron, and I pull it out, and it's the dress. <laughs> oh my god and it was high and i was like oh no i can do something it was higher and lower like, ah, i'm gonna get that altered it was like 30 bucks <laughs> so i pull it out and of course i'm like i want to buy this oh we closed the register i'm buying this i'm buying this the door's not closed yet okay you have to go to that register she's almost closed okay i'm buying this <laughs> i bought it this was literally like a week before i was gonna do it because i could not find a dress and I was thinner there then too, so I was I could fit into different things, you know. So I immediately took it had it altered. And what I didn't realize is I, I wore a cincher, so I looked even smaller. And the cincher pushed everything. Yes, and I had, this right. is all natural, by the way. And it pushed it all up, so I was just tits ahoy. Yeah, you know, sort of like when I was in South Land Tales. Yes. Oh yeah. God. That's right. Yeah. I was like Richard. You know what I mean? Like he had it so right where they begin, so yeah. you can't see him. But it's just—I was heavier then too, like mm-hmm. I am now. But it is matter. I didn't realize that the cincher is going to be really, really voluptuous. Mm-hmm. You know, very revealing. But so they tell us, you know, okay, you can't tell anybody. It's Rancho Rosa. You can't tell the soul what we're doing. It's all secretive. Nobody knew who was doing what, when, where. But all the roadhouse. Um, most of them, I guess. I, I I only know what I know, but it was, you know, a, a lot of the acts were done in one day. Yeah. At the Roadhouse, in this really cool little, like, um, place in Pasadena. Mm-hmm. And I, I, mean, I mean to go visit it again and just kind of take pictures of how it is now, but it was already pretty much intact. Yeah, right. You know, of course, they did some dressing, but it was, yeah, it's a pretty cool little place. It's like a woman's um, uh, lodge of some sort, you know, okay. like a legion kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And anyway, so... I show up, camera ready, by myself. I didn't even have a handler or assistant or anything. I just showed up by myself. So I go, oh, and what's interesting is the night before, I had a dream that I showed up and they were late and I couldn't get my shoes on and, and, and I saw the place, even though I'd never been there. I saw that I was on the balcony and I could see the, the stage with the curtains. Obviously, I can dream that up, but that I was, and then it was all this, like, smoke and, and I couldn't get my shoe on and somebody wasn't helping me and it was like all this equipment up there and sure enough I did not show up late I was on time they did, a, they did have a car for me so thank god so anyway I did show up I did have to go to the second floor there was a bunch of crew stuff in the way no smoke 
there was the red curtain. It was the exact place of my dream. I dreamt it, and Julie Cruz was singing at the time. It was so cool. And then I go in, and there's this like it was like a co-ed, I uh, I don't know, community dressing room. You know, and then they had the hair and makeup, and I, you know, they were like, "Oh, your makeup's perfect." And I'm like, "Okay." Oh, your hair's hey, Chris, your hair's perfect. Everything's fine. So um, then I went down there, and I, you know, David put me on the stage, and Moby's behind me, and I'm like, "Moby, hi." <laughs> and I've met him before, but it was like, "Hi, Moby." And, and I go, this is so cool, because now I can say I played with Moby. Yeah. And then he goes, I can say I played with Rebecca. He was so <laughs> sweet. And then all of a sudden he starts playing CCR. Oh, right. Uh, I'm sweet home Alabama. Oh, yeah, Yeah, Living Skinner, rather. I'm sorry, I'm thinking CCR. But yeah, Living Skinner, and, and we were just jamming yeah, right. while we're waiting, because it's fully mic'd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <gasps> so then we do playback, and the, and the, the, the gentleman that announces us, um, what is his name? Just Star. Yeah, yeah, Just Star. He's so sweet. He's like, Jane Rebecca Del Rio. And he's, they didn't end up using that, which was good. I'm glad they didn't. But the, when, he did, when he did Nine Inch Nails, he kept saying, the Nine Inch Nails. And, he, and David says, okay, it's just Nine Inch Nails. Can we try that? Yeah, of course, of course. He comes like, ladies and gentlemen, the Roadhouse present the Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> and he did it over and over. And I'm behind Sabrina and David laughing my ass off. And I'm like, I whisper to David and Sabrina, you gotta keep that. You have to keep that. And it's so adorable. Please don't, please, 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 please. Most try it again. And then he comes out and he's really stiff. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Roadhouse uh, presents <coughs> Nine Inch Nails. And he says it really, it just still wasn't working. And I begged Sabrina, please God, please keep the Nine Inch Nails. It's so good. Sure enough, they did. And the moment I saw it, I texted Sabrina and said, I love you. <laughs> Thank you for keeping that. It was adorable. You know, the nine inch <laughs> So awesome, right? Ladies and gentlemen, that was Rebecca Del Rio. Thank you very much for listening to Twin Peaks The Return, a season three podcast. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook. I somehow don't think it's going to be six months until the next episode. Um, hopefully I'll hear from some of you then, or maybe see some of you even, at Conversations with the Stars. Thank you. Thank you.